0: Welcome to the Plastic Please Store Podcast.
1: We are your hosts, Trey the Explainer.
0: And me, Miles Grab.
1: A podcast about the natural world.
0: Things that people claim are part of the natural world.
1: And things that used to be.
0: Just a quick note, we had some audio problems this episode, mostly my fault. I'm still learning how to get the audio all together really nice. So please stick with it so you can enjoy this episode. I'm sorry about that. I promise that I'll learn how to do it better in the future. And thanks for listening to the podcast. Okay, and we're back with the third episode of the Plastic Plasiosaur podcast. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> last episode was really long. So <laughs> yeah, super long. Yeah, thanks to everybody for listening to that. I thought we had a really great interview. We got a bunch of fantastic feedback. We actually got an article written about it, so that was pretty cool.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, Darren. Yeah, yeah Darren. So- Darren's awesome, man.
0: Yeah, we Dan really mech. appreciated that, and uh, it was cool to see the feedback. Um, of course, the interview was really long. We had to trim it down, um, but I think we got a lot in there, and uh, I hope I wasn't too hard on Jeff. Some people in the feedback said I was, but from my perspective, you know, like he's just had a lot of time to talk about this for like 30 years, and I just felt that you know it would be good to ask some harder questions, but it was all done with, with respect, and we had a great conversation with Jeff, and we believe that he felt well represented too. So,
1: Yeah, yeah, that was a great discussion. I agree. I think we, we both gave really good arguments and and just uh, had a good time.
0: Also, Trey has a new video that just dropped on his YouTube.
1: Oh, yeah. Thank you. It's okay. uh, Among Us themed. Some kind, <laughs> kind of video of. game that the kids like. <laughs> it's like on like human psychology, too. It was kind of an excuse. Um, yeah. I, yeah.
0: I, I watched it and I was just waiting for you to say the word pareidolia.
1: Yeah, like, yeah. The whole time I was
0: like, just say it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I say I, I think I pronounced it wrong. I think I pronounced it with an N. I pronounced it uh, That's Uh right. and I was like, Oh, people are gonna correct me. Uh now people are. I'm gonna say Peridolia.
0: Peridolia? Well, I'm not gonna f- fix it now because now I'm worried now I'm
1: getting it wrong. <laughs> when I, I had think- to spell it, I, there was no N in, in it. And I, I, thought I was, it was like what? I think
0: I thought it was peridolia.
1: Paridolia, yeah. Peridolia. But, but I don't know. Yeah, it is I what it is. Hung
0: all the time. So yeah, I, yeah.
1: <laughs> but try my Man, you got a story for us? I do. I do. I got a, a recent. This is a recent paper, a publication made uh, uh, this month. Actually, or not this month, last month, um, and it is on uh, the Mary Rose, which is a shipwreck off the coast of like southern England, awesome. and uh, it is uh, King Henry the Eighth's favorite warship. Uh, King Henry VIII was the one with the many wives. He was very large. He he was uh, like Robert Baratheon. And uh, yeah, this was his favorite warship. And uh, it sunk (laughs) with everybody on it, Um, which is bad for them. But it's really good for us because it it kept um, a lot of the uh, stuff that they were carrying and the crew intact. Um, So there were a whole bunch of human skeletons. And it was super, super well preserved. It was brought up, I think, in like the 80s or 90s. Um, And then they examined a whole bunch of it. And there's been a whole bunch of studies. And uh, yeah, I'll be talking about this recent paper um, that analyzed the skeletons on it. Mm -hmm. Um, So what was weird is, so there are a lot of human skeletons, but there are also animal skeletons on it. And um, so there was a dog on it, uh, a a dog that was like, they estimated that it was like 12 months old or two years old or between animals. Yes, yeah, so there's there's dog his name was hatch they kind of nicknamed him because he was near the hatch of the the oh, ship i thought that was um, actually like,
0: that's a good name for a dog i was like yeah that
1: was like crap that was, that was really good um no that it was just because they don't know his actual name but he was like a ratter he would like catch rats on the ship and eat them
0: it just reminds me of that uh it's not the exact same but that seinfeld episode when they're talking about the horse there's like his father was a
1: mutter and his mother was <laughs> a mutter yeah 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 it, his mother was a mutter yeah <laughs> oh yeah it's all set they got the bug boy on. The bug boy? Yeah. The little fella's been riding his heart out. <laughs> They're gonna break his maiden. <laughs> really? Yeah, but it's a little slow out there. It rained last night. Oh, this baby loves the slop. Loves it, eats it up. Eats the slop, born the slop. His father was a mutter. His father was a mutter. His mother was a mutter. His mother was a mutter. What did I just say? <laughs> oh, I love that. That's a great episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: and, and, and we're recording this on Mother's Day, of course.
1: So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, crap. I should have. Yeah, whatever. King, King Henry VIII is kind of like mother themed. How sure. not to treat your mother.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, that could be a um, sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> so there was the dog named Hatch, who was a ratter. They found a couple rat skeletons and then cow bones on there. I think they were like, they were shipping them or that was um, for food. Um, but the weirdest thing on there was a frog skeleton. They oh. found this frog skeleton on this, like, 1400s ship. For some reason, and they're does that, has someone have a terrarium on the ship? Th- that's the thing is nobody knows what the frog's doing on there. They're just like, what the heck? Why is this frog here? the The, the um, website says it was kept there for unknown purposes. <laughs> um, they <laughs> well, think it might have very of mysterious. Now. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's more <laughs> mysterious than just saying like, oh, we don't really know what it was used for. Um, it was. Uh, some people think it was like medicinal. Like maybe like they used it for medicine. Like people lick a frog or something like that. There are probably some, some like folk practices around like frogs and medicine. Did they Where did they find it near the
0: front of the back of the ship? Cause they found it near the back. Then it'd be ruddy mysterious.
1: Oh, I don't know. I they the paper, the, I, I read this on the Mary Rose Muse- museum website. It's a really good website. Um, they didn't state where it was founded. They didn't have a picture of it. They said it was on loan, so they couldn't get a picture of it. Oh, yeah. um, it it's so, and then another theory was that it was a pet. I'm just picturing this, like, sailor keeping a, a pet frog. A
0: level one druid.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, some D&D player in this on this ship. Um, but the most likely option was that it was, like, a pest. Like, it snuck on the boat and then, like, was eating, like, flies and, like, roaches and stuff.
0: Um, I, I, I think a bird could have been eating it and then landed.
1: That's the true. Yeah. I think it was maybe in the hole, like, in, like, the hole of the ship, maybe. Um Yes, yeah, so that's, that's So that was like that's a minor part of the story. The main story of this paper that I read. We want to talk about the frog, okay? <laughs> I kind of like the frog. I wanted to bring up the frog, but the interesting part is that they did like a um, isotope analysis of the the uh, crew members of the human crew members of this ship, and they found that like the members were um, far more like uh, ethnically diverse than like what you what people commonly expect. Um, so the isotope you can, you can, with isotope analysis and carbon 14 analysis, you can do, um, you can figure out where somebody spent their childhood, mm-hmm. um, based on what sort of the food they ate and the type yeah. of plants they ate. And, um, what they found is that some of the crew members had like, that they had a diet typical of like a climate more southern and warmer than England. Interesting. So, like, it doesn't, that doesn't narrow it down too much, but it suggests that there is sort of Mediterranean diet and stuff in uh, people of Mediterranean background working on the ship as mercenaries. And, yeah, for uh, example, immigrants.
0: a lot of pirate ships, you know, like the people would be black or from the Caribbean or whatever. They weren't just all a bunch of whiteies.
1: Yeah, you know? yeah. That, that's, that's the thing. So, like, they, they found so one crew member with a cranial analysis, which is where you look at the skull and look at sort of the shapes of, uh, I don't know, the Brow Ridge and other stuff, um, they found that it suggested African ancestry. So there was like, there might've been like an African sailor on this this uh, warship for King Henry, uh, which That's is really cool. cool. Yeah, it, it's really neat because it sort of turns around the idea that like we typically, I don't know how movies depict the Middle Ages. It's primarily, I guess this is the Middle Ages, this kind of Renaissance. Um, getting that it just sort of like that it was more ethnically diverse than what we're, we typically think, yeah. um, which is cool. Yeah, there was there was more. It's so like, yeah, like people often sort of forget that um, England during the Roman period was pretty ethnically diverse, too. There's actually some DNA evidence that they were like North Africans.
0: Well, Rome um, was that uh, pretty diverse because they conquered a whole bunch of different.
1: Reasons, yeah, right? a whole bunch of people just immigrated and yeah. uh, and just lived there. So yeah, it was a cool little paper, how, just to see how racially diverse. I mean, like,
0: even if they're all fair skinned there's still distinct cultures within that, right? Like we kind yeah, of we kind yeah. of lump all the people of Europe's ethnicities into white, which is kind of nonsense because like yeah, the Celts or the Gauls, right? Or I guess the Celts are Gauls, but you know, like all those people had their own distinct cultures and they kind of got roped into this Italian group.
1: So, yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's exactly what's, what's up. Like like, when people say like broad African ancestry or with um, sort of the Roman studies, they say like African ancestry, um, people, people like jump on that and say like, oh, they were like really dark skinned black people. Um but that may or may not be true. Like when, when they when scientists say that, it's they're probably talking more like um North African. Sure. There's a there's a gradient of like uh diversity. Well yeah, because you know, Africa's extremely diverse. Yeah.
0: North Africa's too. giant. And you there's, know, there's there's a literally the Sahara is just a genetic like actual like wall pretty much, right? Yeah. The people just aren't going through the Sierra because it's hot. People yeah. don't like
1: it. Yeah, so it was a cool paper. It was talking, like because I know that there like there were like um, like black people in um, royal courts and stuff. Like c- cities were probably like pretty pre- far more ethnically diverse than what a lot of people consider um, in movies and TV shows and stuff. Like
0: uh, I was talking to one of my friends the other day. Like uh, you know the famous painting, the Gardens of Earthly Delight. Oh um, yeah, yeah. So in that painting, you know, there are several darker-skinned people that are like not. <laughs> pictured as othered at all they're just like included in the group, and oh, yeah. I, I think that kind of shows you that like there was different attitudes towards race at the time, you know because mm. like they they were included they're obviously a minority in the group because you know the people in Europe would be more generally fair skinned but they 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 sought to include people of darker skin and they didn't see them as like other they were just part of the
1: group yeah. They weren't. They weren't. They were. They were not slaves. They were like free men and women that yeah. just were part of society, um, which is really cool. I know that like King Henry the Eighth had like a trumpet player who was like who was um, dark skinned, and you actually see him in one of the tapestries or court paintings, which is kind of cool. Um, oh, just cool. side by side with all the other trumpeters, which is cool. Um, I will say this: the cranial analysis. Um, whenever like an archaeology paper bases something off of cranial analysis. It's uh, notoriously unreliable because, Whoa. like, human skulls are really plastic. They like envi- the environment can shape what your skull looks like. It's also um, a lot but, of history of bad racial science around cranial. Right, shape. that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So it's so like whenever like whenever there's an accurate like I'd say for every like accurate cranial analysis, there's like an equal number of inaccurate ones. Um, yeah. This was made famous by like the Kennewick Man sort of thing, of which is this um, like a Native American skull from. Uh, 9,000 years ago, or something, that they said it looked like like a white dude, and facial reconstruction did it and made it look like Picard, Captain Picard. Yeah, there's a a whole thing.
0: Controversy (laughs) over that whole thing.
1: Yeah, facial reconstructions are kind of BS. I'm going to make a statement here. There's the famous famous Cleopatra one where it
0: looks like Britney Spears. (laughs) What? I never heard of this one. Yeah, Yeah. so So there's the meme where it shows her she looks like Britney Spears, you know, then you have a Michael Scott. It's Britney, bitch. <laughs>
1: That's amazing.
0: It's Brittany, bitch. And I am back. Um so your your story was cool, right? Yeah, thank you. But, but my story is stupid. So <laughs> well, we we'll, know. we'll see which is more popular. <laughs> so there's this fellow, right? His yeah. name is Ron Gabriel Joseph. And he okay. he is like you know The Room, right? The film? Yeah, yeah. Tommy Wiseau? Hi, doggy. Yeah, so, so in my opinion, Ron Gabriel Joseph is like the Tommy Wiseau of science. What makes you say that? Okay, that's, that's, a good,
1: that's a good comparison.
0: So basically this guy publishes a lot of stuff, mostly in this cosmology paper, which is kind of a pay-to-play journal, You know, not a journal I would particularly think uh, would be held in high regard.
1: Just yeah. some,
0: here are some examples of the papers that he's published. Um, okay. Quantum Physics of God, How Consciousness Became the Universe and Created Itself. So that's a pretty cool one.
1: That's uh, um, that's quite a title.
0: All right. <laughs> so we also have Quantum Entanglement with the Future, Lincoln Dreams of His Assassination.
1: <laughs> what the? Wait, Lincoln? Like Abe Lincoln Dreams of His Assassination? Yeah, yeah you know, the
0: great emancipator himself. <laughs> What
1: the hell? <laughs> he
0: also has a paper, I almost didn't want to bring this up because I but he has a paper where like he argues that like the sole purpose of women is procreation. Oh. So you know That's not, not not my favorite opinions. It used to be kind of and harmless
1: crazy, now it's gonna do harmful crazy. Yeah, so he gets a little of
0: that, and then like he has a bunch of pictures of himself like standing between over like galaxies with shades on, <laughs> and his shirt losing a button. And it's a bit like Neil, Neil Green, actually, maybe, maybe so. But I- I'm calling on the guy a bit. But the reason why, and-, and I normally wouldn't do this before bringing up his point, but he has published. He has a long history of publishing papers mm. or creating lawsuits against NASA, arguing that there's they're hiding evidence of life on Earth. Um, several years ago. There was this rock that looked a bit like a jelly donut. Okay. He thought that this rock was signs of life. Basically because rover moves by it. Picture before the rover didn't show the rock there. Picture after it shows it there. So he's like, okay, it moved. this is life. <laughs> but what probably happened is, you know, the, the rover kicked up the rock. or There's also wind on Mars. It hasn't
1: happened. Yeah, it has storms, right? So,
0: yes. So a rock was a place that a rock wasn't a place. Rock looks like a jelly donut. Man says NASA is hiding it, so he tries to sue NASA. Obviously, it didn't work out. But he has a newer paper um, where he is arguing that these little globular-looking things—I think that he refers to them as puffballs. balls. Um, so we have pictures from the rover, like we have one from uh, like Sol one one four three and then one from Sol, 1150. And Sol's just, you know, that's the name of our star, mm-hmm. right? So those are just um, days on Mars, pretty much. And in this time, from 1143 to 1150, you can see a spot where there were some of these little puffball things, like little tiny, they look like, like white rocks, kind of, but they're very small. You can see where there was some, and then there wasn't some. Or you can see where there wasn't some, and then there was some. Oh, yeah, some. I'm looking at it now. So, oh Yeah, he's saying that those little puffballs are fungi. That have grown up in the absence, and you can tell that. Um, of course, fungi—at least most of them that I know—I'm sure that there's, there's examples. Most of them like absorb decaying organic matter, and that's how they eat. Right. right? That's how they grow. So I don't know what organic matter that they're eating.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know what would be on Mars. Uh, is he saying that it's like contaminant, like human contamination, or is it no, a native he species? He believes
0: that. He believes it's a native species. Oh.
1: Um,
0: he also believes in so much quantum woo that, you know, he probably would use that word to describe
1: it. <laughs> it's like when movies use quantum. It's like Yeah. It's quantum so, like so, I, I
0: normally wouldn't clown the guy before I talked about his actual findings, but I want to point out that there's basically these people that post almost like troll vanity science mm-hmm. where they just like make these wild claims and then post in these journals. And the reason why this is newsworthy is because it gets headlines. Yeah. Yeah, so even popular mechanics wrote a paper, uh, wrote a story on this. Now, the, you know, they weren't completely incredulous. That They were like, I don't know about this. But they still, the headline was still, you know, scientists believe these photos show mushrooms on Mars.
1: And I think that's an irresponsible headline. It's one guy who's, uh, is he is he a scientist? Is he like, does he have a degree or anything? Kind
0: of. Okay. Um, there, are, there are people with s- semi-legit or legit degrees that, technically peer-reviewed this paper but um it is my opinion that this is kind of a pay-for-play journal and so this peer-review process is not very serious that's my opinion yeah um don't sue the show (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so this is the thing that happens all the time this happens in um like acupuncture all kinds of different stuff you have tons of these journals but you know when it's something that like could be true like finding life on mars Mm -hmm. right like, it's definitely a possible thing we could find life. Yeah. I think these kind of headlines create a lot of disinformation because people might read them not think about it. They're like, oh, wait, I thought I heard something about that.
1: I remember on, on Twitter, I was scrolling through and saw a story like that pop up but didn't read it. Read it. So it was like, oh, that, that's yeah. good. <laughs> so, yeah, I can see the harm in that. There is harm in that. Yeah.
0: Ugh. Yeah. So, you know, like, again, science, you know, it has to be this rigorous process and this kind of like, Faking it and, you know, shoring the corners, I think, creates a lot of disinformation because people are supposed to respect these scientific findings. Mm -hmm. And so I think it kind of, like, puts a mist over the legitimacy of the whole thing, especially when we're going through a crisis where lots of people are dying because lack of commitment and trust in science. So these kind of things just kind of really grind my gears because it's life or death or something. You know, like... It doesn't matter if it's bad science around Bigfoot or mushrooms on Mars. It's bad science. And the more bad science there is, the more bad science there will be for things that are medical that actually save people's lives. Yeah,
1: I I agree. Yeah. And and life on Mars isn't like this crazy idea. Um, We're not like shooting it down, I don't think. It's just there's not strong evidence for it uh, yet. And probably not fungi is the thing, right? I, I know there's... I know. Have you seen like the the Bigfoot on Mars pictures, crabs on Mars, or people like zoom in really, really deep in like rover pictures? Yeah, well, there's the
0: the famous the famous face, you know that you. Oh
1: found, yeah, yeah. The you Cydonia your, face? You
0: know. Yeah, and that's all the same stuff that I think a lot of cryptids are. Right, people are just looking. For yeah, something. it's anomalous.
1: People want to see it, and then they they end up seeing it.
0: Like I would say, if you look for something hard enough, you'll find yeah. it. You know, your your brain will find a way to say yes, if you were really committed to finding something. Right. So, but, but there's supposed to be these things called uh, scientists that you have to put your, you know, you <laughs> look at your paper and tell you if that's not good enough, yeah. but people will have shorted that. And then they get papers titled quantum physics of God, how consciousness Became the universe and created its I concept. love
1: the Lincoln one, that, that Lincoln one. I want to check that out. What was it called? That sounds like a. Yeah, so I'll say it again.
0: It's called quantum entanglement of the future. How Lincoln dreams of his assassination <laughs> sounds
1: like a great title. I know film. it sounds like a that's like he should like with a lot of these like pseudo people. I feel like just write science fiction. I feel like like this sounds great. Yeah, Lincoln dreams of the so like new animation. comic. I'm.
0: The new comic I'm writing, I'm basically looking at all these old mythologies, trying to get to the oldest versions and making a way that they could coexist and work with each other. You know, so it's a finding connections just to your imagination, which I think a lot of these people are doing. They're like, oh, I wonder if this part of physics works like this. And they don't actually do the science or test it. They just kind of imagine it, which makes cool stories. Hmm. You know, it's fine, write a cool story, but don't. Pretend like it's science. That
1: you're this to solve. this paper's on ResearchGate, and you can download the PDF. What? <laughs> the guy also has a rational wiki intro. so that, oh that's a for
0: him. so that kind of shows you. Yeah, I know. Go look up the photo of him, this... like standing next to the galaxy. <laughs> it's like Neil Bean.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, I see. I Gabriel see
0: Joseph.
1: Oh, he. I know. Yeah, I, 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 I looked up like um, life on Mars or something like that, and there's a picture of, like, a Mars picture and it zoomed in and there's, like, a crab walking around. Um, and it's on his website, I see. Yeah, <laughs> what the, the, what the hell is this picture? <laughs> there's another one with, an ex- like, a nuclear bomb yeah, explosion see. behind him. You can see, like, oh, yeah, the little, like, like, like uh, Halo where he tried to edit it out in Photoshop, but it didn't get it exactly to outline. Oh, this is amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, if this guy wants to write science fiction, I wish him all the best. I hope he sells books. But you know, just don't. You know, when you're when you're making popular (laughs) mechanics headlines for stuff that isn't true, then I gotta I gotta (laughs) cloud on you. I think that's a fair rule. So. And now it's time for another plastic plesiosaur podcast interview. Okay, and now we have a guest on the show. We wanted to interview RJ Palmer, who is a really fantastic artist who takes like, you know, some famous pop culture stuff that a lot of us like like Pokemon or Godzilla, things that kind of have like a foot in biology. But, you know, are kind of fantastical creatures. And he has a really great knack for kind of like making them um, more science based, looking at like the evolution of them. Um, And so we really wanted to talk to him on the show because we thought it, you know, it kind of dovetails in the stuff that we normally talk about.
2: Sure. Hi, Uh, that's me.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Tell tell people a little bit about yourself, RJ.
2: Uh, I'm a concept artist and illustrator based in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, I mostly work in video games and like live action film stuff. Um, I like monsters like established and uh, (laughs) some people think I'm pretty good at drawing them.
0: Yeah, 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 monsters are very cool. Like, when did you like get started, kind of doing the the thing that you're doing? I don't know if what you call it, but kind of like the adapting, like established kind of like monster designs into more of like a you know evolutionary biology kind of perspective,
2: if that's how you describe Uh, it. So, I mean, like, I started when I was like a kid, kind of, because like you know, Pokemon came out when I was like nine years or it was came out when i was eight but i I played my first one when i was nine um and so like first one it was pokemon yellow okay um 99 (laughs) Um, yeah yes uh yeah so like you know i i got into it at like the height of like you know the first wave fad Mm -hmm. um but, you know, I was already way into dinosaurs and Godzilla and everything before that. Like, I've been drawing since I was three, and I've been drawing dinosaurs since, you know, the start. Um, oh, but, shoot. like, yeah. So, like, Pokemon stuff, though, um, it, like, really inspired me um, in, in like, more of a creature design direction. Because, uh, like, everything is, like, so much more fantastic. You know, you can do, like, like you know, lizards that have fires on the tips of their tails, right? Um mm. But, like, I remember being, I don't know, must have been, like, 12 or 13. You know, I still like Pokemon. Like, I was never one of those kids that, um, you know, was into Pokemon when they were, like, nine. And they're like, oh, in high school, Pokemon is for suckers. I'm a big boy now. Like, I was always into Pokemon. (laughs) That's Um, funny?
0: Because, like, I I was one of the really early adapters to Pokemon. Because my (laughs) friend's older sister got all these Japanese magazines with the role-playing games and everything. So, I knew (laughs) when it was coming here. So, I got it early. I was playing it and we didn't have the trading card game yet, but there were like little sticker cards and I had some. Yes. I brought them to school, then all the kids made fun of me. You know, and <laughs> no. they like like threw them on the ground and wanted to fight me and and called me names that were different phobias. And mm-hmm. and then like next year, all those kids like they were buying Pokemon mac and cheese, you know, they have Pokemon <laughs> stickers on their trapper keepers. It was yeah, Pokemon a, all the time. And I was just like, <laughs> this is nonsense. Is this how the rest of my life is going to be? I
2: have to deal with this kind of
0: behavior for people.
2: I remember being a kid, you know, like when the card game was huge, right? And Like yeah. <laughs> they banned it at our at our elementary school because it's like no, it's like gambling like um because I guess some <laughs> kids got like, you know, suckered in a trade. <laughs> so like I couldn't bring my cards to school, but what I did is I I drew my own cards. And oh, like I was just like copying uh, nice. from Japanese card art that hadn't come out here yet, but like I made my own little Pokemon cards to bring to school. That's a superhero. That's like really superhero cool. Right Holy cow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> So did you know how to play, or were you one of the kids that no. made up? Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: No, I just, I, I liked them. Um, I just wanted to collect all of the all the cool ones. Um, I still have my binder, too. Like, I never sold That's it. Cool.
0: <laughs> What's cool about Pokemon, too, is like, you know, uh, green and blue came out first, right? In, in Japan, uh, of course. It was Japan red and Japan. green. Hmm? Red and, red green, and green. green. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Red and green came out. And, um, you know, they were doing well, but it really took on when people heard about Mew. You know, because like mm-hmm. basically, is a cryptid. It's a digital cryptid. Yeah. You know, that's right. everyone's trying, and people have stories about finding them when they actually didn't, or how to get mm-hmm. them. And so, like we t- we talk about cryptids on the show a decent amount. So it's funny because he's basically a modern digital cryptid. So it's kind of well,
2: cryptid. like in my realistic Pokemon stuff, that's always sort of how I wanted to treat legendary Pokemon is yeah. like as cryptids. I don't know if you've seen. I did an illustration of Mewtwo um, that's like sort of like a trail cam, like night vision footage, yeah. um, like finding them in a cave, like you would a cryptid. Oh yeah, I, I see it.
0: Oh yeah, I'm checking that. That is awesome.
2: That's so cool. Yeah, really I'm also into cryptid. I'm just into everything that are monsters.
1: Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> like, I just want there to be more creatures to discover. Really. <laughs>
1: yeah. what's yeah. What's your favorite cryptid, uh, RJ? Uh, I mean,
2: the one that I watch the most content for is Bigfoot because there's the sure. most content to watch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for just for cuz in case people don't know me um i definitely don't think any of these things are real oh, yeah. um, but <laughs> i am very that, much into watching the weirdos that think they are real and i watch oh, yeah. like so many bigfoot documentaries <laughs> I, I i am
0: i can watch bigfoot documentaries or loch ness the, the two i like the most but i kind of can't watch ufo documentaries cuz it's just like they're boring Yeah, th-
2: they're boring and they're also they're kind of more sad i don't yeah. know like the people that that come up with big uh, like with UFO stories are so much like less interesting than Bigfoot. Of course, then you have like the overlap—the people who think Bigfoot is an alien—and they're
1: pretty good. Sure. The, well, the the ones like... that think Bigfoot's a, a supernatural creature, yeah, yeah he, he goes through portals, and that's why we can't find <laughs> him.
0: Because like you can think about like, okay, what would it look like for an ape to be in North America? What would be the adaptive pressures? You can design that. You can think about that, right? So there's mm-hmm. there's some biology anthropology you can do for that as an artist
2: but it's kind of hard for aliens because you're really just bullshitting and you're yes.
0: making aliens
2: you know? yeah well i mean aliens are like a very special type of creature design and there's a lot of different schools of thought like for me um if the aliens are going to live on a planet that's like similar enough to ours and they're probably going to like through selective pressure is going to end up with the same like at least something that's similar, like, you know, Hey, something with two wings, like is going to be bird-like. Like, Like, I don't care like how many other limbs it has. If it's got a small body and two big wings, like you could still call that a bird. Like the, the artists who get super into the idea of like creating something that isn't possibly anything close to how life has evolved here. It feels like, like less like interesting because you're just like making up googly shapes. And like, you know, Wayne Barlow is a great artist. Um, but his alien stuff for me never like really worked.
0: I can't yeah. yeah, I can't decide where my mind is on that. Like, you know, like are are we biased? Because like we only have one data set, right? So like we're like, okay, bipedalism is a really good way to deal with this kind of gravity, because like footfalls preserve energy and everything. So maybe something similar to bipedalism would evolve elsewhere with similar gravity, but like maybe it just wouldn't.
2: You know, like I, I don't mean, know. Yeah, like, and like maybe it wouldn't, so or maybe it it would, and there, you know, or there'd just be like like so many, like so many different things have have you know happened again and again and again because like it's just successful. Like the shape of a fish or is crabs. just very good you at moving through water, right? Yeah, the crab, yeah. like like a small body with big arms uh, to defend yourself and attack things. Like that's great. That's just gonna work. Right. Uh, so. If, for me i think like that's always just gonna happen (laughs) like you'll (laughs) always find something like if there is life that has advanced beyond a sufficient point then you're gonna end up like with at least some things that look earth-like people clown on star trek for having all the aliens be like wrinkly
0: forehead pointy ears but it'd be funny if that's what it actually is when we meet them that'd be oh yeah (laughs) that would be like my favorite (laughs) like
2: somehow or another like the genitals evolve to be similar so people can like you know do things with them wow oh i was gonna gosh. say you know
0: so i could let him borrow a shirt or something be a real <laughs> pal. but you're like yeah oh, man let's let's get down I mean,
1: that's <laughs> cool. rj i get what you feel though with uh with barlow like barlow i think likes the the artistry like first and then like mm-hmm. he retroactively makes it work biologically
0: trey you want to just give a quick spill on barlow's stuff just so people know who aren't familiar oh
1: with yeah it? uh wayne wayne douglas barlow uh he's a uh, he's a concept artist and a painter. Um, he's done. He's worked on a lot of projects. He's worked on Hellboy. He worked on um, uh, Avatar. He worked on I think one of the Harry Potter movies. And blue he makes avatar, these really sort
0: of Blue Avatar, right?
1: Blue Avatar, yes. yeah. Not not uh, not, not a go, not good Avatar. <laughs> um, and habits. apparently, he I have not heard any information if he's working on Avatar uh, two through Three, six four, five, or whatever five, how many yeah. they're <laughs> making. <laughs> he probably is. yeah Yeah. i can see it
0: so like when you see the greatest pokemon of all time balbasaur right like Mm -hmm. like what what do you like do you see like okay i think it evolved from like a frog line or do you think it's probably like a reptile and then you try to explain the weird growth like it's some kind of um symbiotic relationship or like how do you kind of get down into it from a science perspective and you're like how would this body shape make
2: sense yeah so For me, the way that I sort of like work on adapting, you know, simplified or or cartoon characters like that is like I look at the the large shapes and like I discern like I don't write it down or anything, but just in my head, the the process is like, what are the like the characteristics that give this thing? It's likeness, right? Yeah. Yeah. and so, like, for Bulbasaur, it's, like, the the sort of, like, short nose with the large eyes with the little nubs on, you know, the ears and obviously the bulb. And then, like, short, stumpy limbs. Mm-hmm. So then I look at things that can fit into that mold. And then you sort of, like, look at the real world as, like, you know, you're, you're going sifting for puzzle pieces. And you're going to find all these puzzle pieces and you're going to assemble them into something that looks, like, believable. Um, so, like for Bulbasaur, personally, because I think frogs are dumb, um, I always go like more in a like you know lizardy direction. Yeah,
0: we have a whole section in this podcast where we talk about how cool frogs are. So, mm. they are very diverse <laughs> opinions on this on this episode.
1: <laughs> we, we're very anti Megalodon.
0: We are we're, we're anti Megalodon, <laughs> anti Celia, can't pro frog so far, but that's okay.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna take the
2: opposite stance on all of them. Yeah, those.
0: that's fine. <laughs> So yeah, so like yours almost looks like a horny toad, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I've done several, but yeah, I, sure, I yeah. tend to like favor horny toad, like bearded dragon aesthetics for mm-hmm. Bulbasaur. I just know horny
0: toads because there's some in California, you know. So that's like what. I yeah, thinking.
2: I mean, horny toad, horny toads are like one of the coolest lizards. Yeah. So big. So time. Like,
0: like <laughs> with the, with the bulb, you're basically just saying they put a bulb on it, and so I'm putting a bulb on it. Or do you kind of like? Yeah. Think that the, yeah, because I mean, why was there a bulb, right? But like, yeah. You tr- well, you tr- it also think like.
2: So, like, uh, you know, I will see artists that, like, try to go so far and be like, hey, you know, it's actually like a collection of, like, large scales or whatever that make up the book. Yeah. And, like, to me, that feels like you're sort of missing the point and, like, you're diverging too far away from, like, the original idea. Like, when I've done Charizard in the past, I still traditionally give it, like, real fire on his tail. Sure. Um, because... For me, if you just, like, add feathers or, like, de- decorative scales there, it feels like you're trying to take the magic out of the thing entirely, mm-hmm. Um which I think is something that has set my stuff apart from other people that try the similar things that I've done.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with you, because yeah. I've had some kind of, like, ah, oh, that doesn't really do the deed when I see some, like, realistic Pokemon stuff, because... Like I said, like there's things that give them their charisma, right? Like why we mm-hmm. like them. And so if you take it away, it's like, well, it's not really Charizard anymore. Because they were yeah. trying to design a creature that had this pseudo-supernatural kind of thing to it. And you have to try to incorporate it. That's the trick. And so I always feel yeah. like you did a really good job of doing that, which is why I, I was fond of your work personally.
2: Mm. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah, definitely.
0: I know Trey isn't much of a Pokemon guy himself, but I think he um, appreciates some of your like Kaiju stuff.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I, I appreciate all your work. Like, the level of detail, and it's amazing. Uh, it's, like, looking that uh, literally like a real animal. It's awesome. <laughs> I like a lot uh, of your it takes paleo art. a long art. time. Thank
2: <laughs> you. I, I also do paleo art, which I probably haven't mentioned yet.
1: Yeah, so, like,
0: um, what's your process in that? Because it's, like, it's changing all the time, you know?
2: Um, like, I mean, it's, like, the same thing. It's, you know, like, like, you know, so when when designing a Pokemon, right, you, you get given the Pokemon and you're, like, well, this is like the mold that it has to sort of fit into. Now I'm going to go look for puzzle pieces to reassemble this into something that looks more lifelike and believable. And the same thing is true of paleo art, right? Like you're given the data set. You're like, Hey, here's what the bones look like. Here's what we know. It's relatives look like, like here's Mm -hmm. what we know it ate. all these different, like, you know, facts we know about it, but there's still so many pieces of that puzzle missing. And that's where the fun is. That's why I think paleo art's like really fascinating is because, you are working within like restrictions and then allow like within those restrictions is where you can like really play and get creative with stuff. It's like, you know, any two people can like have all the same data for a T-Rex, but they're not going to draw the exact same T-Rex because there's so many things that we don't know that it allows for that creativity.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of soft tissue and like coloration differences and all that. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. It's a lot of fun to be elastic there.
0: Paleo art is kind of this romantic thing because it's, it has all the imagination of, you know, monster storytelling and like these great creature storytellings, but it's also trying to look at the past. So it's like kind of fictitious and, and then kind of like time travel history thinking, you know? So it's mm-hmm. it's a really cool blend of disciplines in that way.
2: Oh, well, yeah. I mean, until your idea about like how there's sort of this romanticism around it. Like, I think it's interesting in that paleo art is the only art form, unless I'm mistaken or just being a horse's ass. <laughs> it's the only art form that like, if it didn't exist, we would have no way to look at what that world looked like. Like it is the only way we can have a vision into like 60 million years ago. Right. Like there is no other art form that is like that. Like, you know, somebody can draw like a fantasy creature, but like that doesn't exist. This actually happened and we have no way to see it without artists.
0: Right? It's awesome too, because like it is so sensitive to new discoveries. Right. Like I believe Mm -hmm. Trey has a YouTube video about like the history of (laughs) dinosaur designs. Yeah. you know like so you have iguanodons and then you have like these bigger more reptile looking things and then they start to become slightly more avian you know the avian ones like during jurassic mm-hmm. park but now they're getting more colorful and more diverse and I, I think you're seeing more characterization with them now which you know is the result of actual scientific discoveries so i mm-hmm. think that's well, really fantastic
2: so one it's scientific discoveries but two it's also there's like this <clears throat> like the internet Has totally changed the game as far as paleo art concerns because Mm -hmm. now all this information is so freely accessible and accessible to a lot of teenagers that have a lot of time to just read shit. You're basically following up,
0: Trey.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's (laughs) totally me. (laughs) So now you have this entire generation that gets raised on the internet and they get all this information and then they get like digital art tools so early. So now that they're coming up into like, you know, being 20, 23, or whatever, like they are getting to the ability of what they are like you know proficiently skilled as like a professional artist but they also have this huge knowledge base that they get to work from that like everybody every generation that came before didn't have so now paleo art is not only more diverse but the barrier to entry is so low that there is so much more of it
0: yeah yeah because like i you know i did um, a comic clovis right which is set like fourteen thousand years ago and is trying to be a, like an accurate look of North America. Thankfully, for like those animals, a lot of them we have like really good soft tissue examples, you know, mm-hmm. so it's not quite as speculative because, you know, they're mammals, just larger, different sizes. So that was mm-hmm. pretty cool, but it was still a challenge to try to draw them as accurately as we could and depict them as accurately could. So, like, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I imagine like dinosaurs is even rougher because, like, it's, you know, 68 million years ago. <laughs>
1: Well, then, with the when it, when you're dealing with like teenagers, sometimes you'll miss a, like misread a paper and yes. make all these claims. I've done that. That's really bad. There's a lot of
2: them that are very in like because a lot of them seem to be teenage boys, and if there's one thing that teenage boys are, it's very headstrong, right? Yeah. And so they they come up with this theory that they've read this paper and like I know everything. I'm a genius. I'm 16, and then they like go and fight <laughs> with actual paleontologists on Twitter, and they're like hey, man, maybe you don't know as much as you think you do.
1: Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, God, that's me, like, like six years ago, if not even less.
2: <laughs>
0: you have, like, three different videos about the feathers on the T-Rex and how yeah they are, right?
1: And they get slightly better as time goes along, but it's still, I'm not even happy with the most recent one that was, like, a couple years ago. <laughs>
0: Where are we at on that? Do you... uh, feathers on
2: T-Rex? Yeah, um, I mean,
0: there's some, right? Yeah. Like, they're, like, proto-feathers, basically, right?
2: Well, so if there were feathers, near as we can tell, if there were feathers, they would have been a very sparse covering like elephant hairs, right? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe there weren't feathers. We have scale impressions from T-Rex with no feathers, but those are teeny tiny little impressions and feathers could have still been in between the scales. There's a lot of room here for like exploration. Um, Mm. But where we stand right now is if you want to draw completely featherless, fine. If you want to draw a little bit of feathers, fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to get the really poofy T Rex, though. Of like, yeah, a years unfortunately, ago. yeah. The <laughs> the
2: the grizzly hawk Rex that I I designed, um, no more of that guy. <laughs>
0: I, I like um like for a while ago we found like in some Archaeopteryx fossils we were able
2: to tell the color of the feathers and stuff. I thought that was pretty <laughs> fantastic. Oh, that's you know? amazing. Yeah, because
1: yeah. they, they were like yeah. black, right? So the yeah, well, Microraptor, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah dinosaur coloration i like um there's the the what is it Edmontosaurus, where like they looked at the scales and can see like the different scale shapes indicate like a striping or a pattern i think uh saurian tried to incorporate that uh, mm-hmm. into their model
2: yeah i mean there's yeah it's i think it's more complicated than we uh, thought originally but there's definitely something going on there And like we're learning more about that stuff all the time which is really cool
0: yeah so for like 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 when you worked on the pokemon movie right big big Mm -hmm. big corporate thing um it looks like they incorporated a good amount of your designs but still tried to keep really true to like the original like stuff that we saw you know like when the Mm -hmm. games are released so like um like how did you feel about the way that like that translated because like you're translating their design they're looking at your stuff and then translating it kind of back and carrying some of that over like how do you think that how did that process all work out for you
2: I mean, yeah, you know, it is like it is a big back and forth and like I worked in the art department. So like our job was to just come up with the look of the movie, not create like the final designs that like because all, all that stuff goes into like, you know, the the, the effects houses that work in all the yeah. post production stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So like it was just it was like really neat to sort of see what they would want like like the sort of directions that they were going to like push for, like from, you know, the Japanese side of things and versus like, you know, the American side of things. Yeah. And I learned a lot from that experience, um, especially on like, like getting the likeness of a creature. Uh, I, I understand now in a way I don't think I did before that project. Um, and it's cool. like so something i like really
0: like gained some stuff from it. That's interesting. Oh
2: yeah. Cool. Tons. Like yeah. I learned a lot working on that movie. That's awesome. So, like, it looks like they kept, like,
0: I don't know if you call like, almost like a thistle-looking kind of bowl that you have on your Bulbasaur, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it looks like they kept kind of that design in theirs that made the movies. Yeah,
2: I mean, the way I like to describe uh, the, the look of the designs in the movies is, like, uh, you know, none of my, my illustration, like, my any of my concept art made it to the final design, but, like, the yeah. DNA that I put forward, like, sure. is, like, throughout.
0: Yeah, I think you can see it. You can see that it's it's basically, like, your opinion was added a little bit to every design, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. You also do really great stuff with like the kaijus, like I was trying to say, or like mm-hmm. your Shin Godzilla, I think in particular, is pretty fantastic. Oh, yeah. oh like
2: the what the, the Twitter banner one?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like your, so it's, it's it's
2: not specifically Shin Godzilla, it's supposed to be like my own take. It's just very heavily influenced by Shin Godzilla because I think the he's the best the best one. Yeah. yeah well Shin
0: <laughs> Godzilla was just a fantastic film in my opinion.
2: Okay. It, I mean, yeah, it's by far the best Godzilla movie.
0: I mean, I, I would still say the first one's the best, but
2: I mean, yeah, people that, keep saying that to me, but, and I haven't revisited it as an adult, so I should at some point, but like just design wise, it's really hard to beat Shin Godzilla. I, I get what mm. you're saying. I, I, I really value like the initial thrust of creativity when I like kind of rank things like basically
0: like this created the idea and made people want to reimagine it and redesign it. So to me, I just give that a lot of credit. But Shin Godzilla really brought the fearsomeness back to Godzilla in my mind and made him like this force of nature again, which mm-hmm. he kind of lost. And yeah, I thought that film was brilliant in many different ways, not just from design, but like the story as
2: well. Oh yeah. Yeah, big time. Yeah.
1: I, I really yeah. liked your um your new depiction of um of a uh, King Ghidorah It's really cool. I like oh, how you got like, so the, the space. element. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that one. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh so
2: that both that one and the uh, the Godzilla piece we just brought up, like those are sort of like companion pieces and like both of those it most of the time when I draw, I'm just sort of like I start sketching and then like I see where it goes. I don't have like a really like I like set idea in my head. Um, but both of those ones, like I had like a vision of just like a fully completed illustration. Was, like that's what it's gotta look like and I'm like, Okay, I guess I'll do that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I do
2: that
0: as a writer sometimes, like I just I'll think of a scene. I don't even have all the story yet, you know, but I'm like, I got to make, I got to get to the scene. The scene is the thing. So you mm-hmm. just kind of start working from that kind of like crystallized idea you have in your head. So um, you also do anatomy stuff, right? Like with, with paleo art. Yeah. So like, like, is that like, because a lot of your stuff obviously doesn't show like the bone and muscle structure. Like, do you have to, do you have to do a lot of research? Do you feel like to try to get that stuff right? <laughs> yeah. A yeah. bunch, <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I'd be so nervous
0: to make one single muscle wrong or something, and have someone on Twitter just blow my ass up for it. So,
2: <laughs> yeah, and like you know, that did happen. Um, sure, Casey Holiday, the uh, he, he's a paleontologist who worked on one of the papers I was using. Is like, hey, no, you fucked up this part. And yeah. I was like, oh shit. Well, <laughs> you <yeah. laughs> know. Well,
0: I tried my best. <laughs> no, No! No!
2: No! This one goes there. That one goes there. Right? But yeah, I mean look that that piece, the, the T-Rex one that mm-hmm. I I spent like a year on that. Oh,
1: um, oh my god.
2: Yeah, I I mean one, it's like the longest I've I've spent painting anything. Like, you know, I have an app that tracks how much time I spend on in a document. Mm-hmm. Um and it was like 320 hours on that one. Which nothing's even close. <laughs> nothing's like <laughs> even half. Um But yeah, like, you know, I got to correspond with like top paleontologists and be like, Hey, you know, here's what I've got. Is this right? And go back and (laughs) forth for a period of over months. Um, And I, I learned so much from that piece. And now, you know, you have artists like Matt Dempsey, who's like getting to, he's like studying, you know, paleo musculature, like, like for an actual like degree. It's like, so now he gets to like come and step in and like do the shit that I was doing wrong.
0: Well, I mean it all adds together in the interest in the field right and like you said yeah like basically paleo art's an important part of the the actual field of science that it's looking to discover so yeah
1: I, paleontology wouldn't be as interesting as it is without artists to depict the work of the paleontologists themselves I feel like what's your what's your favorite sort of project that you've been able to work on I mean
2: that's a tricky question uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> Like it was really cool. Like you know, I've gotten I've gotten more fortunate than most to get to work on so many sort of like dream gigs. You know, obviously like Pokemon movie, but also I've gotten to do um you know illustrations for sideshow collectibles of officially licensed Alien stuff, like Xenomorph Alien. Yeah. Um, So like that's super cool. Uh, you know, getting to work on all these different dinosaur projects. Like you know, I've done books for Scholastic, and uh, I've I've done a couple illustrations for the Beast of the Mesozoic toy line. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I, I the the one projects that I really want to work on left, like I really really want to get on Monster Hunter. So if you know anybody, please tell me.
1: Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: we know the Monster Quest
0: people, but we don't know the Monster Hunter mm-hmm. people.
1: Well, <laughs> uh, maybe maybe yeah. they know each other.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe the Monster <laughs> people will talk.
1: Well were sort of your uh, influences, RJ? Like, um, I, gu- I guess for um, paleo paleo art, like what sort of movies or or TV shows like sort of inspired you to make? Uh, depictions of dinosaurs
2: um well so i was already into dinosaurs before i can remember seeing any movies um you know I, like i started drawing when i was like three and i have a distinct memory of being in preschool talking with friends about wanting to go see jurassic park in theaters because it hadn't oh my come gosh. out yet that's um, so cool and then like i did go and see it when i was three and i was probably too young to see it but it's the first movie i can remember seeing in theaters um, <laughs> and like jurassic park has changed a lot what it sort of meant to me over the years because I don't like how the fandom has gone. I don't like Jurassic mm. World any well, no. of them. Um yeah,
0: that's unwatchable. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> kind of in that similar boat.
2: No, so it's it's just like dinosaurs, like it's not any media that inspires me to draw dinosaurs. It's just like the actual things themselves are so fucking cool that like I just want to draw those.
1: Awesome. Hey, I like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think we were saying the other day on the podcast, or maybe we were just talking. I don't remember. That um Jurassic Park was too good for its own good. It's kind of just like monopolized yeah. the dinosaur space for films and the way that they look in people's minds. And so now if you don't like the way they look, you're fighting with people. If you do like the way they look, you're fighting with people. And there's just not really room now for other dinosaurs yeah. like, to be
1: the dinosaurs, which is kind of too bad.
2: Yeah, I agree with all that. That sucks. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Well, it started, it started like this whole, like, I feel like, um, a lot of those, so a lot of like paleo artists, like I know they, they really were inspired by like walking with dinosaurs and sort of those BBC documentaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like those wouldn't exist without the popularity and like the success of Jurassic Park to begin oh, with. Sure. Yeah, and like you so, know, I
2: watched that as a kid, but like I was never that into it because the, um, the T Rex sucked. Okay, I
1: will agree the T Rex in that movie, that uh, documentary, kind of sucks pretty bad. Yeah. It's like blocky, big truck head. <laughs> yeah, like boring for,
2: colors. <laughs> one thing that I try to think about in paleo art um, is like I don't spin like if I'm dr- like doing a piece, I will not look at how other people have done it. Like I don't really care about like their interpretations i'm gonna go like to the source material i'm gonna like find out the information i'm gonna talk to like people who know the information and then i'm gonna like come up like try to come at it from a different angle because if you're just building on what everybody else has drawn already then you're not like like you're getting an abstraction of an abstraction you're not going to the source and it's the same thing hmm. beyond just paleo art you know like creature design in general like i tend to try and look at nature instead like i i Whenever I'm, I have like references up, it's like only photos of animals. I will not have like, you know, other creature designs or whatever that people have done um, unless it's like specifically like lighting references. It's not about design, like design. I, I want to go to the source and come at it with like my own fresh perspective.
0: I think that's, that's awesome. really wise. You know, it helps kind of like the cultural pollution of an idea like yeah. in <laughs> your mind. So it's more your
1: imagination. You get away from the memes, like where yeah. something's just yeah. copied and copied and copied just because it's popular.
2: Yeah, and, and, uh, um, and you can like a meme like that, but, like, come at it with an understanding of, like, why you want that. And, like, you know, if you want a redhead T-Rex, like, figure out why that would or wouldn't work, and then do it.
1: Right.
0: Awesome. Were, were you a fan of, like, the Ray Harryhausen stuff growing up? Like, those kind of, like, early monster films as well?
2: <sighs> Not really. I saw, like, yeah. clips of them on VHS tapes. Um, and, like, I, I like the stop motion stuff. But like, sure. I never really watched the movies. I watched like a lot of Godzilla movies as a kid. Um, mm-hmm. And, but you know, basically anything with monsters in it. I, would, I was also introduced to R-rated movies very young. I saw like the <laughs> Alien movies when I was like five or six.
1: Oh, the Alien mean, movies are great. The
2: first yeah.
0: rated R movie I tried to watch was Congo, and it was too scary for me.
2: I I think I saw that in theaters. Yeah. <laughs> when I was like five. <laughs> it's, Is it's that the he movie with the, the talking eye. gorilla? Yeah. Yeah. I like the the monster gorillas and the laser gun that's powered by diamonds. Heck yeah. (laughs) It's also a Michael Crichton novel.
0: Yeah. They they were trying to make a new Jurassic park with apes pretty much, but it didn't really go over very well. (laughs) It's cool to hear, man. So is that, is there anything else you'd kind of like to add either about your career or like interests in this regard? Or
2: would you like people to know? uh I, I don't know I, I feel like we've pretty much hit the, the the spectrum i think i've mentioned all the monsters franchises that i like
0: Fair <laughs> enough. tell people go go buy your stuff on
2: yes uh <laughs> please go to rj Palmerstore.com and um buy my things i have enamel pins and art books and trading cards and prints the
0: enamel pins are cool too because you have a bulbasaur one
2: yeah, I, I do. The... but you only get the Bulbasaur if you spend a hundred dollars. It's yeah. a special Bulbasaur club. Oh my
1: God. Oh shoot. I have the, um, the Saurian art book, which is just amazing. Even oh, if yeah. some of the stuff isn't technically like accurate anymore, it's still like fantastic.
2: Well, and we have, um, uh, a deal with Titan publishing, uh, that they've announced, um, that they're going to do like hardcover version of it. Oh shoot. That's awesome. Yeah. I think it's available for pre-order on Amazon. So awesome.
0: yeah, thanks for coming on the show, man. Just try to keep it a short interview, because last time we had a three-hour-long interview with uh, the <laughs> Bigfoot guy. So.
2: Oh, jeez. Yeah. That's a yeah, lot. It was,
0: it was interesting. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was something.
2: Yeah. Did he change your opinion now Bigfoot is real? Oh, I'm
0: less convinced.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh.
0: <laughs> okay. But now we talk about the thing everybody wants us to talk about.
1: Monster Quest. <laughs> Head Start. Witnesses around the world report seeing monsters. Are they real or imaginary? Science searches for answers. On Monster Quest.
0: So, this is episode number three. It was one of the ones that was not on YouTube. We had to get it through other means. But just to spoil this out of the gate, I thought it was one of the best ones. I thought it was great.
1: I think that as well this was this was up there for me for one of the some of the stuff that we found out afterwards kind of lowered my rating slightly so I'm gonna yeah, have to tweak well, it but um, okay so
0: what happens in this episode
1: yeah so what happens they're looking for they're in um Mexico um and they there there's these Humboldt squid um a lot of pe- most people have probably heard of Humboldt squid they're like these big squid they're probably like most of them are three four feet long five feet long something like that the red Um, devil the red devil (laughs) and they're they're predatory they eat fish they uh attack things in the ocean and so in this episode they were looking for there's supposedly like reports of the red devil the uh how do you say it in in spanish roja diablo something like that the red devil it's like this thing that fishermen see and it's this very very large humboldt squid that's elusive and it's like giant it's like the size of a giant squid but, I heard but that the but, one guy
0: mentions it has like a beak like a macaw like a parrot like three times
1: yeah no no it's great it's a good comparison <laughs> it is it does look squid like that. are terrifying yeah. <laughs> um yes yeah, so they're looking for the this giant Humboldt squid that they believe is um so they believe that the Humboldt squids that are on this near the surface that come up from down below are like are small babies or, or teenagers and then like when they get really, really old, they get huge. They get, like, giant squid size. And they, they eat on the other squid and stuff. And so in this episode, they're trying to uh, attach a camera to a squid, like a GoPro, uh, and, like, look down there and see if they can catch one of these giant, elusive, humble squid. Speculative. Giant yeah, that's squid. one, right? Just to,
0: to stick a GoPro, basically. A, <laughs> a 2007 version of a GoPro on a squid and send it down.
1: Yeah, yeah. So like that. Yeah, that's their, That's the gist of their plan. Um, they make this hot pink um, lure that's like a, a plastic squid, and it's supposed to like catch squid on it, so they can uh, hook the camera onto it. And they're like, this is this new technology, and it's going to work. It's going to totally and, catch them.
0: And so, a couple things. Number one, when we say like they're looking for like a giant squid, that's a different species, right? That's yeah. like the toothists or whatever.
1: Yeah, Arctoctus. Arth- uh, let me see. Giant yeah, so we got we
0: got these guys, <laughs> the red devils. We got giant squids, and then there's colossal squids.
1: There's colossal squids, which are different, another species. Yeah, um, which um,
0: are technically like longer, but their bodies are smaller. They have like longer two tentacles that go all the way back.
1: Yeah, colossal squid. They're like fatter, I think. Right, like um, big beefy they're, boys. They're beefy boys. There's like this famous video of one caught alive near, I think, Antarctica, um, which was really cool. Let's That's see, my favorite animal. I love oh, colossal squid are really cool. I want sea and monsters.
0: Cross- I want sea monsters to eat me and my friends. <laughs> I Think it would be super cool. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: that's the shame is that most of these specimens we've we've seen them when they're dead or they're like almost dead. Um, yeah,
0: and if you see like any of these animals that have like even more water to non-water body ratios than we do, when they're out of the water, they just like are destroyed.
1: Yeah, you know, like they, jellyfish. They
0: or, or deep sea fish, right? When they depressurize, like, they just do yeah. not look the same at all.
1: Globfish, globfish don't yeah. look like that famous picture that you see. They they that's like a that's a lie. They actually look pretty pretty uh, not not flat like that. Yeah, yeah. No, so yeah, I, I like giant squids. I thought this was a really cool premise for uh, a research trip, and they they got some divers to go out there, and, and do uh, they do camera. mention
0: which um, I thought was slightly disingenuous. They referred to one of the producers of the show. One of the main guys who made Monster Quest, they kind yeah. of show him and talk about his camera stuff, but they don't really mention that he's one of the producers of the show, which I thought was a bit of a sleight of hand.
1: Uh, I noticed, I, I yeah, I, I kind of like, I was like, that guy looks familiar. I feel like I've seen him, and it's because we, we researched this a little bit. I was like, oh, that is the producer. Yeah, this is yeah. Doug
0: Hijick. So now, to his credit, um, I think this was a great idea, and in my opinion, this works better than almost any of the Monster Quest episodes I can think of. Because yeah. they have like a legitimate plan that basically like they think I think there's bigger versions of these creatures than is generally considered true. Uh, yeah. We're going to develop a new technology to try to record them. And they
1: essentially do. Yeah, they get data. They get actual data, which is amazing. Yeah.
0: Now we'll talk about how they got the data and how valid what they say about the data is. But he does do it. And so that is pretty darn cool.
1: Yeah, that, that's awesome. I, this I agree. is a
0: real adventure story with a real payoff. You know, this is
1: pretty <laughs> awesome. It was great to see because, like, I'm so used to the monster quests. They just like they sort of have them go out and look for the monster, and then at the end, it's just sort of a, a summary of what they talked about in the episode rather than yeah. them getting results. And this one was like, oh crap, we actually have results in this. So, yeah, really cool. Oh, one thing before we move on, they did mm-hmm. claim that like um, Humboldt squids like attack humans and uh like there's like one reenactment where a guy like a fisherman's washing his hands or something and the squid um like attacked him a Humboldt squid like swam up and attacked him and this is like this is again like um i, I looked a, i read a little bit about it online and and truth Humboldt squids according to a lot of experts and i'm not going to like di- like diss people's stories and say that they did that didn't happen or anything but um, humbled squids are not, like, these violent monsters as they're commonly portrayed in, like, media. They don't, like, they don't attack humans or eat humans under, like, natural circumstances. It's a lot of, like, man-made encounters, which is where they get violent.
0: Well, Scott, Scott Cassell, one of the divers and squid experts, does mention some attacks that he's had, you know, but he's not. He's down in the water with them, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it seems like, it seems like attacks do happen, but the show does definitely play them up.
1: Yeah, that, that's just the like thing, like, there was this documentary on National Geographic that said, Man-eating Super Squid, a Monster Invasion, and it's about sounds squids. Awesome. <laughs> it <laughs> sounds awesome, but it's like...
2: But now, a formidable relative of these giants is grabbing our attention. Legions of highly predatory Humboldt squid are invading new territory. And bringing with them a ferocious appetite.
1: It's again like what I've talked about with sharks—is that like just like sharks? Yeah, people hype them up. People hype them up into these scary monsters, and like, nah, they're, they're Dude, they, under they most are, circumstances.
0: There are great whites swimming under people all the time, and they never yeah. notice, and nobody cares.
1: There's um, one video where this guy he jumps. Don't do this. Don't provoke sharks, please, people. But there's one video where this guy like is on his boat and like sees a shark fin, and he and he thinks it's a basking shark, mm-hmm. and he wants to jump into the water and touch its fin or something like that sure. um and it turns out it's a great white and he really gets Oops. horrified and, and jumps back on the boat but the great white doesn't care just swims yeah. away <laughs> yeah so yeah i've, very, seen, sorry, I've seen
0: videos of um squid i would attacking is of course a charged word but you know engaging somewhat with paddle boards and stuff like yeah. there's some videos on youtube so
1: no, I don't, I don't want to say, like, they don't ever, like, attack people. Yeah. Um, it's just I wanted to say, like, like the people play it up a lot. Um, oh, of course. Just, yeah. like, wolves or sharks or anything. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true.
0: But they go into a lot of detail, I think, in the Sponsor Quest episode to make them monsters instead of just cool animals. Right? Yeah. So they go back into this whole, you know... Giant squids have been attacking people for years, kind of thing.
1: <laughs> and they get that one skeptic expert guy that keeps on like saying, "No, they don't do that." But they like keep his his segments short. <laughs> He's like, "There's been no accounts of them attacking ships ever." <laughs> yes, yeah, so, I mean, people.
0: like, also this is a lot like what I feel like with a lot of cryptids, where they take a bunch of things that are kind of close and then mix them all together. Yes, you know, this is likely true. Yeah, because they're like, okay, well, some of these drawings are obviously giant octopus. Yeah, and then sometimes they're squid, and then sometimes they're mythological creatures that don't exist. Yeah, or or it's like the juju fish or something, right? Like, like
1: <laughs> well, because that's what I wanted to talk about is that yeah. I did a lot of research on because um, they talk about kraken myths in the episode, and um, kraken myths like are actually really really interesting. Where like the earliest version of the like medieval kraken doesn't really sound like a squid at all. It's like, it, it, in its original state, it probably was like a, just a really giant fish or whale. Um, and it like the, so like there's these sort of Nordic legends that go back to like the 1200s. And it references a creature called like Hafgafa, Hafgafa, nice. something like that. It's It's the island monster. And so what it would be, it would be like this giant fish that would look like an island. And sailors would mistake it for an island. And then it would turn out to be a whale. And then it would swim away. And then yeah, it's that, not dangerous.
0: That's in, um, that's in Arabian Nights, too.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 I think yeah. it's in Sinbad. Um, yeah, yeah it's it, it, Sinbad it was... Arabian Nights, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, 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 that's what I meant. That's what I meant. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't like... It, the creature itself wasn't dangerous. It was more that it's so massive um, that it, the wake it would leave would, would be bad for ships. It's like Shadow of Colossus, where they're kind Heck, of peaceful. Awesome. Oh, uh, Yeah, and then, like, so, yeah, and there's, like, another thing where it's, like, Um, there's like this story of like a saint in like the 500s who celebrated Easter on the back of a giant fish and then it started moving and he got really scared. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, Pinocchio. Yeah, Pinocchio. There's all these, yeah, there's all these like sort of old myths and legends. And so like, if if you look at it, like, that's where like the original Kraken myths sort of came from. Um, In the 1700s, they sort of changed these myths a little bit more where it was more Lovecraftian. Um, there's, um, I'm going to try to pronounce it Lindbacher, Lindbacher. It's a uh, translates to heatherback and it, it had three mouths lived at the bottom of the sea and was like, like kilometers long. It was like a giant, giant fish. It seems um, like most
0: of the people that came out of Mesopotamia, their cultures like have a, there's a giant thing at the bottom of the ocean myth.
1: Yeah. Giant snakes, giant dragons at the Yeah. That's the thing is Lindbacher, uh, is related to Leviathan in like the Bible a lot too. Um, yeah, it seems that like they sort of renamed it um, when Nordic people got Christianized. They renamed it Leviathan after
0: that. Yeah, and there's Lotan,
1: Lotan, Tiamat. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of weird myths about like dragons being slayed or sea monsters, and then like you use the you use their body to to build the universe or something. Um, those are interesting myths. Anyways, point being that giant like the Kraken as an idea, the Kra- the word Kraken probably didn't refer to something that. It's only really until we get to the 1800s that Kraken refers to like squids and octopuses. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting that the myth like evolved and changed over time. Uh, yeah. Plenty of the elder references, like this Roman historian references giant squids at one point, which is kind of cool too.
0: Yeah. Cause you think they would encounter them sometimes, even if it's just you kill a whale and there's one in its mouth or belly or something, right? So, like, yeah. I and mean, then your imagination oh. can make it larger.
1: Do you watch, uh, there's like this YouTube channel, it's, um, I don't know if it's, it's Nautilus or Monterey Bay aquarium. They, it's like, it's, I don't know. It might, there might be both of them where they do like live, um, live video feeds of their rovers going down underwater uh, in the ocean depths, and there was one video that's amazing. It happened on like a live stream where a sperm whale just showed up in the middle of the. Oh, I saw that.
0: That was so cool. <laughs> it's so amazing, right?
1: It, it just like drifts very slowly into like frame, and it's huge, and it's just illuminated with a little light, and it starts swimming. It's very curious, it's swimming back and forth. The sperm that whales are amazing. real, are
0: real kaiju, man. They're awesome.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, and, I, and they the sleep. They sleep vertically, like in groups. Oh, it crap. looks like a Mobius painting. It's so creepy and sci-fi looking.
1: Oh, I love that. Yeah, I've seen that. Oh, that's so cool. And, and like, yeah, I, that's what I want to talk about. Like, like giant squid and sperm whale fights. I don't know if they actually fight, but I, I'm to, optimistic. That I'm going to. I'm
0: going to believe that they do.
1: I know. And, so I know. There's uh, not much evidence that, like, a lot of people have kind of rained on the parade by saying that, like, yeah. the sperm whale just eats them and that's it. Look,
0: <laughs> but uh, all I do is debunk all this cool stuff that people make up all the time. And right. this one has some possibility of being true, so I'm going to hold on to this one. And just <laughs> come on, okay? I need this to be real. We
1: need it. We need this. We need the sperm whales, giant squids fights, where they're just like. I think I read one post, and it might be false, but like. So there is this one idea that, so there's sperm whales when they fight or when they eat, we don't know if they fight or eat. So when they they eat them, the claw, the giant squids have like these sucker like claws. They have like these um, teeth on their suction cups. And then colossal colossal squids have like hooks. Um, But with them, they leave like these little sucker impressions on the sperm whale skin. Mm -hmm. And so one person like used that as like an estimate of like how big some of the biggest giant squids were. And they got something that was like really, really massive, like, like bigger than any of the squids we've seen. I'd buy it. Um, I'd, I'd buy it. But the thing is, it might just be that the sperm rail like grew and stretched out the scar. Well, sure, uh, but
0: I buy it. So I want it to be true. Giant <laughs>
1: squids are awesome; they're beautiful creatures. Yeah,
0: so Roger T. Hallen, I believe, was the uh, marine biologist they had on there. Like he mentioned that, basically, we do have scars from sperm whales of these large tentacles. That's because they're like grasping, trying not to die as they're getting devoured.
1: <laughs> There's um this photographer that uh he he took pictures of like so sometimes when sperm whales come up from the depths, they'll be they'll have giant squids in their mouths, like still eating them. Yeah. And one time he was swimming with sperm whales and it left um, a tentacle behind and it was like still wiggling around. And he said when he grabbed it, it was like freezing cold. It was like, because I guess it's at the bottom of the ocean. I guess I don't really think about that. So that was really cool. Yeah. So that was a tangent.
0: (laughs) So they go yes. off and they do the thing to try to make the squids monsters so they can justify it being Monster Quest. It, yes. It's it, it's a bunch of cool stories, but it's mostly nonsense. It has nothing to do with this actual animal that we know exists and know where it exists, right? Yes. So these the squid are really cool. Like when they have babies, they literally have millions, like up to 20 million babies. Like when they breed, they're, mm-hmm. they're up and down the South American and coast and, and North America too. You know, very, very cool squid. We can be aggressive sometimes, not crazy aggressive. Um, We we make a lure, we get a GoPro, we try to stick it on one and send it down. And then what happens?
1: And uh, yeah, they stick it on one. And I'm presuming they got like a whole bunch of footage, but we only saw like probably like a short one minute sort of segment. Um, And they saw so that you can see it kind of in the gloom. Hold on, hold
0: on, hold on. One one cool thing is, so they're diving down to get this right, and they're like fighting the squids and getting this rope going really down deep. And there's also a hurricane coming. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So they got, they have a timer basically on this event, so they're trying to like go down to the deep and fight these giant squids and make up this lure. Meanwhile, this hurricane's precedent. So it's a pretty dramatic episode.
1: Yeah. Right? No, no, and there's like, um, they got the two divers got like really sick and like the current was really strong. And he like, there's a part where he vomits over the side. He's like, oh, and and, like, and, oh and my so gosh, these poor people. <laughs>
0: Scott Cassell, who's actually a squid expert and one of the lead diver here, he even goes and gets himself a Batman suit, basically. Right. He yeah. goes to a guy who makes him a special squid proof suit so they won't beat him up while he's down there. <laughs> I, I don't know if this is really something he believes he needs or not, because you know he's done this many times that one. Um, yeah. so I don't know. We don't have a comment on him on this suit, but he does get a cool superhero <laughs> suit to go fight the squid.
1: And yeah, then, they go in and their suits like it's literally like a Batman suit. It's in like yeah. it's on a model, stand in the corner. That was kind of cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, so they do get some video though. Like they actually yes. get it down there. And they bring like, the video, and they, we get to watch the video. Mm-hmm. And what do we see, Trey?
1: It's brief, and you see the tentacles of this the, uh, of a large squid in the in the distance. Um, and it's literally just sort of like the the front tentacles of it, and then the rest of it's sh- sh- shrouded in in glue. It's it's um,
0: it's blurry. It's dark. We're talking underwater, yeah. but it's not a blob squatch.
1: Right, it's not like, a blob squatch. It's like there's you can tell that it's it's something significant, yeah.
0: yeah. And there's no person in a giant squid suit down that deep. No, not for sure.
1: <laughs> Presumably I, no, yeah, yeah,
0: because that would be a more miraculous feat than if we found an incredibly large giant squid.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like who who was that guy? Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so then they use that. Um, they show it to the, the the team, and they they are really excited. It's I kind of g- smiled and grinned. I was like oddly like excited about this, even though I knew what happened. Like, yeah, this was a later. fun episode. You're watching <laughs> it, you know, and you're like, ah, let's get that squid!" It's like good for you guys. That was awesome. Yeah. Uh, and so they use there is a spot on in sort of the dark portion of the squid that they claimed was an eye. And they used the distance from like the tentacles to the eye to estimate a size, and um, what they said it what size did they claim? They said it they said was like sixty feet, sixty plus? feet long, fifty feet something Inches.
0: like that. Massive! If it's one of these red devil squids, a Humboldt yeah. squid, right? I mean, yeah, I was
1: even I was a little like oh, I don't know about that. That's a, that's quite a claim, right there. Well, we're too. talking three or four
0: times in the traditional size limit at that point, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, and and if we look at um, I am looking at colossal squid. They uh, maximum total estimate is thirty feet to thirty three feet, and then giant squid it's thirty nine to forty three feet. So that would that would exceed both of those in size.
0: Yeah, so that's pretty insane.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think I think we both kind of agreed that maybe it was it was maybe an overstatement, because um, you know, like estimating that kind of stuff on like really blurry details is kind of tough. And it's based on sort of the assumption that that is uh, that's an eye, and then that um, that like the proportions are the same. Um, well, if
0: your estimation comes back so outside of the realm of probability, like you should assume that your estimate is wrong.
1: Yeah, it could be that it's closer to the camera than we think. That kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, like, like so, like 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 a large mouth bass, like a. Uh, something that people know the size of like the largest ones people ever really get are like 20 to 25 pounds like the largest you're ever really going to get so if your estimation tool gives you 60 pounds you know you probably did your math wrong
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah no you're you're a fisherman right so you know this (laughs) i I know of the sea
0: (laughs) so so here's the thing though so scott castle Interesting guy. Cause he actually wrote about his experience on monster questions. Yeah. Thing, he put
1: right? a forum out. Um, the, the, the year of it was 2007. It's still up. Um, and he gave sort of, he, he wanted to give his perspective on it. He said like he would, he felt um, obligated as a scientist and a researcher to give sort of corrections and uh, his thoughts on it. So um, yeah, yeah,
0: I, I think this guy's pretty cool for doing that, you know? Yeah.
1: That's awesome. Um,
0: so like he talked about how like the lure they make didn't really work, right? The show kind of makes it seem like it did, but apparently yeah. it was a bit of a dud.
1: Yeah, the, the, the lure, the hot pink lure that they used just didn't work at all. And I, I kind of noticed it in the episode when they're reeling in the squid. Um, the lure isn't attached to the, the line that yeah. they have. And I was like, wait a second, I thought they were talking about the lure. So yeah, that answers that question. And I um, guess it's
0: a decent idea. You know, it looked cool for the camera, made the episode good, but it just didn't work.
1: Yeah. Oh, they claim that the squid was fifty-four feet long. That's the that's the that's the but case. Scott does
0: not believe that. Scott, Scott does Scott, not
1: believe that. Yeah, he
0: thinks it was like twenty-five.
1: Yeah, ish, which is area. around sort of what we were suggesting. We kind of I I was saying like ten to fifteen feet, and you were yeah. you were saying more like towards um like twenty to twenty-five or thirty. Yeah, feet. And,
0: and this is large. right? Yeah. this is this is a significant real find. Like yeah. they found a larger squid than is normally predicted to be in this area.
1: Yeah. So not, Scott suggested it was 25 feet long. Yeah.
0: Which is a monster. I mean, they, yeah. I, they can say they found a real monster, but of course they got to double it because, you
1: know, <laughs> well, cause it happened. so Scott also gives corrections for other parts of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, when the, the squid that he reeled in, they, they claimed the cameraman, the camera squid was eight feet long and 200 pounds. Um, and even I noticed this as I was watching it, I said, that doesn't look like 200 pounds. That doesn't look 18, eight, uh, eight feet because as he was holding it and yeah and he said the squid in fact was like four feet long and like I, 40 yeah, to 50 pounds
0: that was a bit obvious if you think about <laughs> yeah.
1: it yeah <laughs> it was like nah, that's not eight feet it's it's it fits in his hands How is it eight feet
0: <laughs> i wonder if that's like just somebody spitballing in the writer's room when they're doing the voiceover lines or like and that's a deliberate intentional
1: yeah um, i i I feel i feel yeah it 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 was it was one of those moments where it was like that come on like you should have you should have caught that in the editing yeah. room um yeah and then um yeah unfortunately he said that he was only allowed to study the he requested that he get a copy of the forensics video like of the the clip mm-hmm. that they analyzed and apparently they sort of um rejected him and he was only allowed to see it when um he only saw it for the first and only time when he was watching it Live when they recorded his reaction. He seemed a bit uh, miffed about that, which seems pretty fair because he worked really hard to get that. Yeah, he was part of the team that researched that. I feel like he he should be obligated to. to I imagine the
0: Monster Quest people feel like this is one of the most valuable pieces of footage they own. Yeah. And they don't want it to be. Uh, Debunked or leaked or
1: anything, or have
0: any of the fire go out of it, right? So it's it's just a lot of money for them to risk that. So that's probably their opinion,
1: which I can understand
0: because I mean they put a whole bunch of money into making this fake lure and all this stuff, right? So like, right. But it is unfortunate for the guy who did all the work, obviously.
1: Yeah.
0: But overall, I would say like so we give like the first episode. I think we gave like a six two or something.
1: Yeah,
0: I think that Bigfoot attacks is like a six. The sequel to Bigfoot Attacks, I'd give like a four.
1: That was that was crap. No.
0: <laughs> so, so so far on the scale, I'd say this is like a ten. This yeah, is like the best is, episode.
1: I would say this was a nine. It was those sort of minor details like that that kind of made me drop at one point. Yeah. I mean, in, maybe maybe in 9. retrospect,
0: 5. like after uh, learning some stuff, it drops down to a nine for me. But like when I was done watching, I was like, hell yeah, yeah, I, know, I was yeah. having fun. Like, gentlemen, <laughs> we got him.
1: You know? yeah, like, ladies and gentlemen, we <laughs> got him. <laughs>
0: that's how I felt. Because, like, you know, I just want all these monsters to be real. Except yeah. for Megalodon. Like, I want them all to be real, and none of them are. But, hey, we got a picture of a squid that's a lot larger than we thought. And you know what? I can live with that. I can I can do something with that. It makes me want to get up in the morning.
1: Yeah. Uh, do, do we know if there were any, like, sort of subsequent investigations on... If the squid could get that, if Humboldt squid could get that large?
0: I oh. tried to find something, but I could not find anything. Oh,
1: um, important thing to note, Scott believes that doesn't believe that it was a Humboldt. He believes it was a giant oh, squid. Yeah, he thinks it's a giant yeah. squid,
0: which makes more sense, right? Yeah. If yeah. it is a Humboldt squid, then it's kind of miraculous. If it's a giant squid, it's cool they found one, but it's not as yeah. amazing, which we probably should have mentioned beforehand. But <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> but, yeah, But they found a really big squid. We don't have that much video of big squids, so good job.
1: Yeah, no, no, that's impressive. It, it's a it's a great little episode. You, you, yeah. They looked, they found it.
0: So next next time,
1: <laughs> yes,
0: we are We are leaving the sea behind. and We are looking to the skies.
1: Oh, oh yeah! Look at this. I looked. Giant it birds are coming, Zilla,
0: <laughs> and they're coming for you. Is that actually what it's called?
1: Yeah, the episode's called Birdzilla, which is okay. amazing.
0: So I believe that one's for free on YouTube. So if you're following along with the show, uh, go check out Birdzilla. And we will, <laughs> we will dive deep into that one as we dive deep into the Sea of Cortez.
1: <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah.
0: And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of the podcast. Yeah, um, thank you. It's a really good time. We actually mm-hmm. recorded the interview after this, so I can't say how well the interview did. But I'm gonna predict our interview with RJ went fantastic because we like him and he makes cool Pokemon stuff.
1: RJ is a treat. He does amazing things. Can't wait for the interview. Maybe I'll
0: edit a thing in here saying, Man, that was the best interview I've ever had. Or <laughs> I'll edit anything I can't believe RJ made fun of us so much. Wow. Well,
1: that was so mean. Yeah, I can't he believe not to say that. It was
0: rude. <laughs> like he said his favorite Pokemon was Ditto. What a cop out.
1: <laughs> oh gosh i feel like I'm, I'm afraid i'm gonna be really lost because i i just have never the only time i watched pokemon was at a friend's birthday party when i was like 10 well there's and- more
0: to the man than pokemon
1: so. oh yeah well yeah that's he does, like he does godzilla stuff he does yeah, yeah. dinosaur depictions oh okay all right yeah,
0: yeah. i'm not worried <laughs> so the podcast is doing really great so far which is fantastic um yeah but we want to keep building so we can get more cool guests on and you know trey and i are busy guys so seeing it grow really gives us kind of the enthusiasm to keep doing these so if mm-hmm. you guys could do all that you know rate subscribe nonsense that every piece of media tells you to do now that would be great
1: <laughs> <laughs> wait and make a sure- comment subscribe yeah.
0: <laughs> and you can send emails to uh you can go to my website after the rush shut space and just send emails there because we don't have a dedicated one for the podcast you can follow me at Gold Rush comic and you can follow trey at
1: uh at trey the Expl- at tr- at trey underscore explainer and then trey the explainer
0: <laughs> tune in next time we'll talk about some weird stuff some old stuff and some stuff that isn't real yeah all right, all right. goodbye <laughs> bye <laughs>